the Sportsish Podcast, a place for those of us who like sportsish. We are making sports fun, cute, and digestible. This is not your boyfriend sports news. My name is Lily, and I am joined by my husband Ashton once again. He brings the sports, I bring the ish. Together, we are sportsish. How you doing, Ash? Doing good. Doing good. Happy last day of June. Oh, is it the last day? Well, when this comes out. Oh, yes. Tomorrow morning. Okay, fair enough. It will be the last day of June. I feel like I always start with the same. It's been a big week in sports. Big week in sports. But that would be a lie this week. I don't feel like it's been that big of a week in sports. I don't know. I feel like there's been a couple of things that have I mean, like, comparatively, we had, like, the NHL and the NBA end literally the same week. Yes. And NFL's not in season. So, like, in terms of, like, the mainstream sports... But, but a lot's been going on in the sports that haven't, like, that aren't officially in season as well. I guess you'll have to tell us in the Mansplain All right, Minute. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> Always. Okay, go. Okay, in the NFL, turns out our short king Christian McCaffrey's hands can do more than just carry the ball as he tickled the ivory at Red Rock for Zach Bryan. Wouldn't have bet on that. Speaking of which, Isaiah Rogers, Rashad Berry from the Indianapolis Colts, and free agent Demetrius Taylor were suspended indefinitely through at least the 2023 season for betting on NFL games. Nicholas Petit Ferrer was also suspended for six games for betting on other sports at the workplace. In the MLB, Shohei Otani is still sick at baseball. Domingo Herman threw a perfect game for the Yankees, and that's good news for the Yankees fans because every year a perfect game has been thrown for them. They have won the World Series. In college, LSU is the place to be. Their baseball team just won the College World Series following the recent hype of the LSU women's basketball team, who also won a natty. But not all is fine and dandy in Louisiana. New Orleans star Zion Williams is in some more trouble as his Texas mistress is allegedly pregnant. In the NHL, Connor McJesus has officially been taken off the market with his new engagement, and Connor Bedard was drafted number one overall for the Chicago Blackhawks. Pretty good. Nailed it. Nailed it. You covered you covered a lot. Let's break it down. Yes. Christian McCaffrey, when you said his hands tickled, it, it was kind of dirty, I'm going to be honest. That was yeah, dirty innuendo. You more than play with balls, let's I just put it that way. <laughs> I don't mind it if it's talking about Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, can also tickle the ivory. <laughs> Crushed it. Did you did you actually listen to it? I did. I was, Sick. Yeah, Good he's for him. he's not just like okay at piano. Like he he didn't get up there. Yeah, and like I didn't realize play he was chopsticks. Like, yeah, I didn't realize he was like into music, but he is. He is a piano player. Yeah. And then he sang, which wasn't as good as the piano skills. No, not quite. But you know, but he's still hot. The the piano crushed it. For Zach Bryan, nonetheless, who is like a total stud. He's like like a relatively new up-and-coming country star, and he's sick. Great Yo, music. Christian McCaffrey, 10 out of 10, always my fave. Yeah, also apparently a country fan. We'll love that. <sighs> I'm not a country music fan myself, but <sighs> we'll forgive him. Okay, moving on. Zion Williams' hot water. Do tell. Yeah. Well, Spill the tea, we, please. We've already kind of gone over it. I haven't kept with it as much. But, I mean, his mistress, former mistress, we don't know, Mariah Mills, is wild. I mean, she literally... She's been banned She's been Twitter. banned from Twitter because she was going to post their alleged sex tape. Yikes. On, like, online. It would have broke the internet. So many yikes. Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, Adam Silver, I think, intervened. He's like, you can't have that. 
Twitter, we need a blocker. We need her banned. Yeah, so she's just been all over the place saying crazy stuff. You know, all of a sudden she's allegedly pregnant. I mean, who knows? We'll see. But yikes. Yikes for Zion. Big yikes. I'm a Yankees fan, so this is big news for me. Yeah. Yeah, they've only, the Yankees have only had, I believe it's four no hitters or perfect games, like in their entire history. And every single time they have one, they, they win the World Series. Well, go Yankees. Yeah, I guess. Are you, can you hop on board, please? We live in New York. Yeah, I mean, like, I like the Yankees. Um, I'm a, I'm a, just a Shohei, I'm a Shohei fan. And, uh, a, and, a, Blue, right. and a Blue Jays fan. As we've discussed. Yeah, Blue Jays mm-hmm. fan, then Shohei. Shohei is pretty impressive. But He's the best baseball player of all time. <laughs> Remember when I told you that he was overrated and you went on a rant He's about how I was wrong? He'll get, I bet you he gets an $800 million contract. I he don't it. fully comprehend. He, he, he deserves it. I mean, he is absolutely crushing. I believe he leads the AL in home runs. He also has the most strikeouts I believe in the MLB for this year so far. I mean, he's killing it. I he's mean, he's also super cute. If he was, if he was just a hitter, he would, he would probably get like a four hundred million dollar contract. You're losing me. We're and he's he was a really just, good. And, player. Yeah, oh yeah, he's unbelievable. So, but he's on the Angels, who are not a very good team. They have this is the craziest part. They have two of arguably the best baseball players of all time on their team currently, and they're just garbage they they are kind of in the hunt for the playoffs right now it's got a lot of baseball but they left. should be like in the top five teams you would think so being that they literally have two of the best baseball players i just don't in understand history. i don't understand yeah no one i mean yeah it's complicated but it's just embarrassing nonetheless moving on to our sportsish pop quiz because we have a special interview we're going to get to i sat down with an athlete who I'm very excited to tell her story. Uh, And so that's going to be the bulk of the podcast today. So we're going to get to our pop quiz. We're going to do a little overview on Pride Month, and then we're going to dive into my interview with Emma Gee. But first, you have three questions about sports. Yes. I have three questions about ish. Yep. We're going to see who wins this week. You crushed me last week. I had no idea. But... I feel like I might stump you with mine. So you There's go. There's a good chance. I've been sort of out of the loop this week. Sweet. Okay, you go first, and then I'll, right. I'll bring the ish. Okay, which NFL player just got in a scary car crash but was able to walk away? Oh, I saw this story, but I, I didn't recognize the player's name, so it didn't, like, stick out to me. I'll but give I, you a hint. He played with the GOAT last season. That, okay, first of all, if you're talking about Tom Brady, you know that he's not hey, my you GOAT. you said it, not me. You He's not it. my goat. Your word's not mine. Nope. So, okay, he plays for the Buccaneers. I know that. Name doesn't come to me. Leonard Fournette. Leonard, my man. Yeah. But he's okay. I did see the picture yep. of the car's wild. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, I mean, okay, maybe maybe car crash wasn't the right words. I think his car just caught on fire. It caught on fire, yeah. yes. That's what happened. But he's okay. Yeah, he's fine. Okay, God was looking out for Leonard that mm-hmm. day. Ashton, for the month of June... Who said the following line? Shade never made anybody less gay. Good nailed job. That. You did nail that. I, I'm impressed. I didn't think you would know that. Yeah. 
Do you know the song that yeah, it's yeah, from? Yeah, I do. Give me a second. I'm bad with names. Um, it was. <laughs> I have no other way to describe it. It was in like the rainbow colored album. Um, <laughs> Lover. No, not Lover, was it? Yes. Oh, well. But it was a single. Yes, yes. It was the single, the one that released. Honestly, it's like kind of my least favorite song. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. I, I, just give me a second. I don't know. I can't remember. You need to calm down. Yeah, that's the one. It's a, it's a great song. It's, it's a great it's, line. It's actually not that great of a song, but it's, no, it's all right. it is. Great line, though. And the music video is amazing. Um, it's a great line because it's true. It's an okay song. It's not one of my favorite of Taylor's, but, you know. What is your favorite Taylor Swift song? Do tell. <sighs> Something in 1989. That was your album. Oh, yeah. Love that album. It's a classic. Anyways. Wait, what was it? What is your favorite Taylor Swift song? I would need to go through them. I don't know. I don't know if I have a singular favorite. You got to come up with one. Seeing as we are going to her tour in Europe. <laughs> oh, okay. We are. Oh, all right. Tickets are... We do not have tickets, by the way. We're the means to get tickets, but we are going. All right. Which countries are in the semifinals for the lacrosse world championship? What? Who's following lacrosse world championships? Uh, weren't you the lacrosse manager in high school? <laughs> I was the lacrosse manager in high school. That's as true. A, a, a laxitude, as but I've heard they're called. I was not a laxitude. All right. No, I dated one player on the team. All right, sure. And I kept track of ground balls. Yeah, shout, shout out to Harrison for teaching me that word. Yeah, so all I had to do was mark down any time a guy on the team got a ground ball. I also made cookies before the game. It's a very, very nice. low point in my life, but I really liked this boy. Yeah. Well, you should be able to guess at least a couple of them fairly easily. Okay. The, the I'm going to go with I, the U.S. Yep. I'm going to go with... Canada. Yep, those are the number one and two seeds, Sweet. Okay, so did you know, well, obviously you know, but fun fact for our listeners, Canada's, like, national sport is lacrosse. It is indeed. You would think it would be hockey. It's not. It's lacrosse. Yeah, it's lacrosse. I, I think they've kind of, like, shifted it now where now it's, like, lacrosse and hockey. But, yeah, lacrosse is slash was the original national sport. Okay, so is the third country European? No. Oh, why did you pause? I had to, well, it's complicated, but, you know, no, it's not. One of the teams was a part of the Commonwealth. Oh, okay. Um, uh, put, put a couple of shrimps on the bobby. Okay. <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> Was that? I I know what it was. That was so bad. You should never do that again. <laughs> Australia. Yeah, Australia is the one of them. The other, the last one, you're not gonna get. Africa or no Europe. No. Uh, South America. No. What is that? Asia? No. Although Japan was stellar. Who like, knew? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know either. But they they lo- they just lost in the quarterfinals. Hoda no Shani. Sorry, what? Hoda no Shani. Where is that? In the U.S. What are you saying? Yeah, yeah. You're making I, things up. Nope. Also known as the Iroquois Confederacy. <laughs> it's not in the U.S. Yeah, they are. It's upstate New York. <laughs> How are they different than Team USA? It's, they're, they're like a... This um, is a trick question, and I don't appreciate it. I don't know what the right word is. 
because um, I feel like it changes every couple of years. But like Native Americans, Iroquois, the people who created oh, lacrosse. Wow. So like they're kind of like an independent nation, if you will, you okay. know, like the League of Five Nations. Um, it's made up of Mohawks, Onidas, the Onondagas, the Cayugas, and the Senecas. I feel like you're butchering So known these, as the Iroquois. That's cool. Iroquois. Yeah. So they're, they're, I mean, I would say most of them are probably Americans, but that have their Iroquois descendants. That's cool. Yeah, And really they're cool. in the, like, they're the third seed? They, seed. I'm trying to remember their exact seeding. I want to say they're like, they were like sixth seed in the tournament, maybe fifth. Okay. Somewhere around there. They're, they're a good team. I think a lot of their players play professionally. One of the players played the first half of the quarterfinal with like a wooden lacrosse stick, like the traditional. Whoa. Yeah. Really cool. They're, they're the team that beat Japan. Okay, cool. So I'm cheering for them. Are you yeah. cheering for Canada? Yeah, absolutely. Obby. I think, yeah. Okay, three famous artists have been struck in the face with objects while performing on stage this month. Mm, this month? Yes. Did you know that? No. Can you name one of them? I can picture the one because she gets rocked in the face by a phone and needs to get like stitches. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, um, and I'm um, BB Rexa. Correct. Yes, that is one of them. Yeah. She was the first. BB Rexa hit in the face with a cell phone, like, yeah. like you said, oh, rocked. Yeah. Like that, that guy who whoever threw it, like honestly, she should get to hit him in the face with a cell phone. Well, what an idiot, because if you're going to throw something, like, that is something that will easily identify you right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, he was he was caught quickly. I mean, he ruined the concert because she had to leave. She had yeah. to go to the hospital. Like, ruined the concert for everybody. The crazy part was is, like, she had pretty cheap tickets to go to her concert. You know, I think she has a lot of say over that, too. So it's, like, a lot of people who, like, you know, can't go to Taylor Swift or whatever, but she's, like, a great artist still. Yeah, like, yeah, had the concert ruined. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, the next was pink. I think this was, was last week. Did you hear about this? No, not. Someone threw. I'll just guess what someone threw on stage at her. You're not going to guess. A bra? No, so much worse. Their mother's ashes. Their dead mother's ashes. Why? Like, did they, she throw it in like a can or something? Or <laughs> like literally the ashes just like... <laughs> it was in like a bag. That's so weird. So So effed up. And then the last one was today. Kelsey Ballerini performing in Boise, Idaho. Bracelet. Hit her in the face. Oh, it hit her in the face. Wait. It hit her in the face. Did Pink get hit by the ashes? She actually did. That's, that's, That's way worse than I was originally thinking. And she was like, are these? I don't know how she like figured it out, but she like spoke with the fan Figured out they were ashes. She was very weirded out. I'd be disgusted. Um, and then Kelsey Ballerini was okay physically, but she was scared. Like, yeah, that's yeah, scary. Of that's crazy. All in the last month? Mm-hmm. It's this new trend. Let's rock people in the face while attending their concert. So messed up. Okay, last question from you. Which HBCU just added in a men's ACHA hockey team? Can you give me the state that it's in? No. I don't know. Tennessee State University. (laughs) The first HBCU to ever have a hockey team. What? Yeah. Acha representing. That's Acha, A-C-H-A. Oh, yeah. We love the Acha. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, really cool. What division? No idea. 
I would say probably Division three. Most schools who first start a program, unless they're like kind of a private liberal arts school, start like Division two or Division three. Fun fact here, Ashton. Former Acha All-Star. Former Acha player himself, Division Two. Oh yeah. Let the team love in a little, hits. Love, love a little uh, club club hockey, Division Two. Yeah, you had some glory days. It was I fun. Back back in my glory days. It was fun. It was. You were concussed quite a bit. Not that much. But it was a fun ride. That's where we met. Yeah. An ACHA Division Two hockey game. Represent. Okay, last question. Which singer and his famous model wife welcomed baby number four this week? A singer and her famous model. His famous. His famous model, model wife. wife. Hmm. I'm trying to think of male singers. <laughs> Is it someone who was canceled by your own words? No, not at all. Okay, I wasn't so what sure. were you thinking? Um, Maroon 5 guy. Oh, he should be canceled. Honestly. Uh, singer, fam- famous male singer. That was a good guess, though, because he is married to a model. Mm-hmm. Not a clue. The answer is John Legend and Chrissy. Oh, Teigen. I did know that. I heard someone talk about Did you about hear about that. this, though? She had a miscarriage with her. Yeah, Third. there was. A, there, I feel like there was some controversy. Was there any sort of There's, surrogate involved with there this? There was a surrogate for this one, so it wasn't controversial at all. It was just surprising because so she had a miscarriage with number three, and her health was kind of questionable to have mm-hmm. another baby. So she had a surrogate. No, uh, she had a baby. She had a baby. But it was after they had started the surrogate process. Oh, so she's also has a. So she has a newborn. She has a five-month-old. And then the surrogate had the baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Got it. So essentially they're like twins. So wait, she just had the newborn now and the surrogate had the baby a couple months ago? No, she had the newborn in January. And then the surrogate just had the one now. In June. All right. Today is the last day of June, like we said. Uh, So we're talking about pride. I felt like it would just be crazy if we did not acknowledge pride this month and record an episode with someone who identifies as queer and Mm -hmm. has a story to share because there are so many stories even in the sports world yeah i feel like the pride and sports relationship is really complicated yeah i would yeah i think it's pretty complicated uh many like pro leagues are i would say hyper masculine is a good word like yeah, I yeah, maybe maybe hypermasculine. I don't know what the right terminology, but I would say like there there's like a, a culture within a lot of men's sports where it's yeah, very masculine, you're you know You're tough. You're tough, you're a jock, and there goes like all the stereotypes with it, right? And those are words that have previously not been associated with people who are queer. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of is a conundrum in itself and but what we've found in recent years is that you can love who you love and also not fit that the queer stereotype. Yeah. And there have been a number of really brave standalone athletes in the past few years who have come out of the closet. Yeah. Um, Carl Nassib mm-hmm. in 2021. He's, yeah, he's probably one of the more well-known ones. Yeah, so he was the first NFL player, active NFL player, to publicly come out as gay mm-hmm. in 2021. And what's like hard about that is 
he's not a big name in the NFL. So yes, he came out, but now he's he's a free agent. He's not signed with any yeah. team. And I talk to the athlete. I'll introduce her in a second. But I talked to her in the interview about what a difference it would make if one of these big name athletes came out of the closet and the courage it would give probably a lot of people. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Like there was an NHL player who came out, Luke Prost, and but he hasn't been signed with any team yeah. yet. Carl Nassib is a free agent. Jason Collins was an NBA player and he was the first player like within the four big leagues to ever come out as gay. Oh, interesting. I, in I, 2013. I he came out in Sports Illustrated. And okay, it was the first active male athlete from one of the four major professional team sports to publicly do so. And he, I mean, so brave. This is in 2013, so 10 years ago mm-hmm. when, you know, queer yeah. hate was. Yeah, it was a lot less accepted, celebrated, even 10 years ago. He also is a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so he, like, challenged that stereotype and showed how he, like, can still have his religious faith while also loving who he loved. He's been with the same man now for nine years. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And the story drew a record number of visitors to sportsillustrated.com, like highest number ever. 3.7 million visitors to sportsillustrated.com. So I, you know, I think often that I feel like there's been a lot of progress made and there has. We see yeah. a lot oh, of definitely. teams and leagues holding pride nights and posting about pride and wearing pride jerseys in, in warm-ups. But I do think oftentimes I look in the comment section of one of those posts. So like let's say a baseball team is announcing that they're having a pride night. Mm-hmm. All it takes is like a brief scroll through a comment section to see that sure progress has maybe been made but not enough yeah i mean it's tough right i mean i think the other thing we need to remember too is in social media there's there's a silent majority you have a huge vocal minority that loves to spew whatever they feel you know at that moment and there's a lot of vitriol comments just in general in social media right so i don't think it's fair to accurately like you know, portray all sports fans, but you're absolutely right in terms of there's there's always more work to be done, right? And so it's it's tough um, with a lot of those comments and seeing that like it's clear that yeah there there's more work that needs to be done. But I do want people to remember that it's like there's more good people than terrible people out there. Right? But I think what it does is it scares maybe young athletes who are in that community who are queer, who are in the LGBTQ community from ever coming out, right? Because it is not... Yeah, I, I mean, I would imagine, I like obviously I, I don't fully comprehend it, but I would imagine those comments are definitely not helping it and it absolutely makes it harder for them, right? So I, and I get really sad when I see, I mean, we're talking mainstream sports pages, right? We're talking like 
the the sports pages that have predominantly like one demographic that is the opposite of the sportsish demographic with these comments and mm-hmm. um, I'm proud to say like nothing we've ever posted has received really any pushback we posted about Reggie Bullock he's a player for the Dallas Mavericks and his sister in 2014 was shot and killed but she was transgender mm-hmm. and after she died Reggie Bullock kind of like pledged himself to using his platform to become an ally yeah and last year he won the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar social justice champion trophy for like spreading awareness and becoming an ally and speaking out about it Mm -hmm. and what's hard is I think that's the kind of situation that it takes for a lot of people to become allies is like knowing someone who's in the community yeah and at this point I think most of us do know people who identify as queer. Yeah. But it's just like I think a lot of the hate comes from just a lack of understanding and like a lack of seeing it in your real life, in your personal life. And then when you have maybe friends or family members who do identify that way, it kind of changes things, or at least I hope. Yeah, I, I think every like a lot of things, personal experience really, you know, is what it takes to change the way you view certain topics or you know different things in your life i wanted to sit down with an athlete who identifies as queer um for this month and kind of like close out the month of june with someone who has a story to tell within the lgbtq community and i had seen the story of emma gee and she was a track runner at my alma mater which is byu and she was the first like out lgbtq athlete at the university and that happened in 2018 which is kind of wild that was she really the first the first openly gay like active athlete active athlete interesting i didn't realize that yeah really amazing and brave yeah absolutely and one thing that she talks about in her interview is how there are gay members of every athletic team at pretty much every university but how scary it is to come out because a lot of times you know you do need to feel safe to do so yeah whether it be like the religious university not being safe space or just the sports world in general not feeling like a safe space to Mm -hmm. come out uh that can prevent people from coming out like reggie bullock's sister Right, was killed, was literally murdered for being a transgender woman. Yeah. So I think that she uses the word safe in the interview a lot, and I that's not something I anticipated, but I found so fascinating because I think that's the ticket right there is that a lot of people stay closeted because they don't feel safe. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's that's probably the case. I mean, it has to be. I mean, because we, we do know of people who played sports at BYU specifically female sports and they talk about how like like on the the female basketball team how they had a lot of queer teammates but I like yeah I guess you're right none of them were ever openly you never hear about them being openly gay yeah because I think and at the root of it is is safety and comfort and of course always like if there's a religious institution involved that can obviously get complicated yeah 
with BYU specifically, there's an honor code. Yeah, which has complicated things for a lot of athletes that we do not need to dive into. Oh man, what was his name? You're thinking of Brandon Davis. Brandon Davis. Yeah, not completely non-related to um, Pride Month, but I do remember that because that was like we were in school. Yeah, were we in school? I feel like I was no, no. It was the year before we came. Yeah, I just remembered their basketball team because it had Jimmer Fredette, and they were so good. And it was like the one year was like. We have a shot at a, at a national championship. Yes, that's and right. And then in the tournament, things were really playing out really well. And? And then he and then he broke he the honor yeah. He broke the honor code. code. He was, was suspended. suspended. Rookie move. I can't remember if he he told on himself or if someone told no, on him. No, no, no. It was his girlfriend's roommate. That's super lame of her. She cost so us a national up. championship. <laughs> I will not forgive nor forget. <laughs> Without taking too much time, I want this interview with Emma to shine. Um, I want to give like a heads up that Emma's story is really personal and she was really brave to come on and share it. It talks a lot about her experience specifically at BYU and, you know, the difficulties that attending a religious university while being closeted presented and then kind of like how scary that was for her but her bravery really does shine through and that's what I want um, people to hold on to is that even if you don't understand what it's like um, like you said these are human beings with real stories and real feelings and real emotions and I'm just I was really impressed by her and and I hope that one day being gay and being an athlete are not two things that cause such a catastrophe in people's mind. So here's Emma's story. Okay, so I'm here, like I said in my intro, with Emma Gee, and we're so excited to have you, Emma. I just, I I said this all in my intro, but I read your story, and I've been inspired by you and your bravery. So we're going to get into your story today. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to like talk about myself, obviously. Isn't it fun? It's always yeah. fun. <laughs> I love um, it. Okay. So tell us about your history with like sports. Have you always been a runner? Did you know you wanted to run in college? Totally. So growing up, I, well, for starters, I grew up in Colorado, big Mormon family. And I actually started by playing soccer. I loved competitive soccer. It was so, so fun. But when I got into middle school, um, some of the elite club teams, they started um, going to tournaments that played on Sunday. And so basically, my parents and I sat down and we just had a conversation about like, keeping the Sabbath day holy and if that was something that I really wanted to pursue as an athlete. So Basically, I kind of made a decision not to pursue competitive soccer because they played on Sunday a lot in Colorado. And when I got to high school, I was like running. They don't compete on Sundays. It's like Friday and Saturday meets. It's much less expensive. Um, And it kind of all came back to the fact that I wanted to play sports in college. And so I think the, the OG dream was to play soccer. But there were just some limitations with that. Um, so running just really became the best fit, I think. And so I started that my freshman year of high school and just have basic, basically been running competitively ever since. But 
that's kind of why I got into it. Although I will say, I don't know if I could have actually played college soccer. I know that, you know, it's really competitive to be able to do that. And I was always a good runner, even just on the, on like the soccer field. So I think it all worked out for the best, but that's actually how I got involved in running is because of the Sunday, Sunday soccer situation. So funny. Well, it's Mm -hmm. a good fit for you. I would say, um, you totally you're thriving, but let's talk about sports really quick since this is sports ish. We'll get into the ish in just a bit, um, (laughs) about sports. Do you follow sports? Do you like pro sports? Do you have like teams? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm super lame. So no, not really. I'm honestly more into like pop culture, like celebrity vibes and celebrity tea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm obsessed with all of that. So if there's ever like any drama with like an NBA player cheating on their spouse, like I'm there, like I'm listening. I need to know the tea. I need to know what happened in terms of following a specific team, like all God's children. Like I'm so happy for anyone to succeed usually. Um, (laughs) I did. I was recently in an Uber with someone at my last meet in Portland and the Uber driver was a huge Cowboys fan. And he was like, I think we can go like all the way next year. So I don't know if that's true, but I was like, (laughs) go off Cowboys. So I don't know. So no, not really. (laughs) You are sports-ish. This is what we call sports-ish. Like, yeah. Like you're sort of sporty. We, uh, we like sports, but ish. Um, okay, perfect. Okay, so your story. You went to BYU to run, and then you came out. You were the first student athlete to do so publicly. I just kind of want you to take us through your entire journey with all of that from like starting, like staying closeted, and then coming out and what that experience was like. Totally. So basically, As I mentioned before, I grew up in a pretty big conservative Mormon family in Colorado, and both of my parents attended BYU. That's where they met and got married. And yeah, I would just say I had a pretty traditional, you know, Mormon growing up. BYU is all I ever really heard about, and they had a really fantastic running program. So when I had the times to be able to get a partial scholarship to go there, I just genuinely felt very honored and really excited in a lot of ways. I definitely had some, I guess I was like at the very beginning, I would say my senior year of high school, like of kind of acknowledging that there was, you know, kind of a part of my identity that might be in conflict with kind of moving forward in the church and everything my senior year I kind of realized I maybe had stronger feelings for a girl that was on my cross-country team and I think the best way that I could explain it is that having grown up in church and in my family like we just didn't there was no safe space I think to have conversations about queer identities Mm -hmm. and so that was just not going on at the time And so I really lacked a lot of the tools to understand myself. So when I got to BYU, I was just very confused. And I would just say that I was entering a culture that definitely is very focused on relationships and kind of progressing, you know, in that way. And I just felt very kind of stunted and just feeling like I was having a very different lived experience. And so 
It was, it was really tough. I would just say to feel like I was, I was so at odds with this culture that I totally, totally belonged in. Like, I would say one of the biggest takeaways from my story is just that I absolutely belonged at BYU, like in every sense of everything, like I totally belonged there. It was certainly the college that I was going to feel the most comfortable at in terms of like values and just just like everything it was like that was what my whole life had like directed me toward and so when I was an athlete at BYU and I was kind of dealing with some of these conflicting feelings you know seeing all of my teammates get married especially in like the first two years I just realized that I wasn't really fitting in with the culture in that way and I wanted to do something about it and so at the beginning of my junior year at BYU I asked if I could be the very first chair of a diversity and inclusion committee for student athlete leadership. And I think my intention with that was just to try and create a safer space for people that had identities that just weren't very safe at BYU, you know, queer identities, but also like race and everything as well. And at the time, you know, BYU, especially student, like, especially athletics at BYU was starting to address some of, you know, BYU's diversity and inclusion issues because it was kind of preventing them from getting professional opportunities, like getting into bigger athletic conferences and such. So it was kind of a, it was weird timing that I was kind of like, you know, starting my journey of educating and trying to create a safe space, you know, as they were also, you know, needing to address some of this stuff. Um, Yeah, so it was super, it was very, very, very interesting. So what I will say is that by working on that committee with BYU, I had the opportunity to go represent BYU at the NCAA Diversity and Inclusion Forum, which was probably the first time that I was able to go to like an educational seminar, which broke down queer identities and kind of taught me about all this stuff for like the very, very, very first time ever. Like I'm talking like, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, like what does that look like? Transgender. I remember going to like my very first like seminar on like what it means to be transgender. Like I had never, ever learned that stuff before ever. And so I was just like, you know, I like grew up Mormon. I'm like everyone. I'm like, what is this? Like, how does this fit in? I'm like, is this right or wrong? But I think getting that kind of education really not only broadened my perspective of the world and like some very necessary education going on there, but it also helped me address what was going on with myself. Mm -hmm. And so I will say that I'm very, very grateful that I had that experience to like, you know, go to that inclusion conference and kind of learn that stuff. That was a huge privilege, I think, for like a BYU student athlete who was queer, like, that was very unique. And I think because I had that experience and then I was able, then able to come back to BYU and try and put on some in- inclusion events, like it did allow me to continue having conversations with myself about like, oh, I think that I am bisexual. Like I do think that I identify with some of these queer identities that I learned about. And yeah, that was huge. Like it took me months to kind of like, come to terms with it because obviously I think there was a part of me that felt like you know that's a really like hypersexual identity to have that's like dirty like that's not really appropriate and like you know what kind of future will I have 
if I like identify with that. And so I definitely dealt with kind of like realizing like maybe some of those stereotypes or maybe like my perspective, like my Mormon perspective on those identities, like isn't exactly like accurate. And maybe I can look at this in like a fresh, healthy, like accepting way, which definitely I think takes an enormous amount of like, I don't want to say work, but like, just like willing, like kind of a willingness to be like, oh, maybe the way that I was taught about things isn't completely true. And maybe it's not completely like healthy. So I'm really proud of myself for being able to challenge some of that conditioned thinking so that I could be able to have like a healthy relationship with myself. And definitely all that work that I did was very much solo, very much on my own, just kind of processing this stuff and coming to terms with it. And so I was doing all of that work. And at the end of the school year, as I said, I had worked on putting on some diversity and inclusion events for BYU athletics. And I kind of just was feeling frustrated, like it wasn't enough. It felt a little bit lip service-y. It felt performative. And I was kind of in a heated meeting with one of the athletic directors um, who I'd been working with. And she was kind of like, hey, like, you know, why does this matter so much to you? Because I was like having a breakdown in her office. I was really, really upset. And she's like, what's going on? And so I finally was just like, I mean, this, this stuff impacts me. Like, like I'm queer, like, and I'm here, like this stuff matters to me. And we talk about inclusion, like it's hypothetical, but I'm right here. Like, and I know I'm not the only one who's queer and a BYU athlete. So like, I need this stuff to feel more urgent and feel more real. And so that was my very first time coming out to anyone, like saying it out loud. And it, it was, Yeah, it was, she did, she was so, she was so gracious and she said all the right things to me. And I am so grateful to her for that. I think it feels, it sometimes feels a little bit traumatic to look back on because it was kind of, I had to come out to prove that something was important to address. And so I think in that sense, it didn't feel completely safe. Um, So that was my very first time ever coming out. And that was, I think April of maybe 2018 and I went home for the summer. Um, I would, I would always work at home in Colorado and stay with my parents and ended up coming out to them that summer. And I think, I think with that, I think, as I mentioned before, like they did not like, there was no like kicking out of the house. There was no like, you know, I, you know, it wasn't like that, but it was very much a a space where I feel like no one was really prepared to have a safe conversation about it. And I think, I think that just ended up being, making things feel very isolating, that this was kind of a journey that I was going to have to take on my own. And so I really don't, I think that, yeah, I think it's like hard to talk about sometimes. My my parents are, I have so much respect for them. They're wonderful, you know, they're wonderful members of the church. And, you know, I've only ever seen them treat people with kindness, like always. So I think that for me, 
what just makes me sad is that maybe they didn't have the right education to be able to create like a safe space for me when coming out. And also maybe to be prepared for one of their kids to like not have a place in the church moving forward. I know that that was probably a really disappointing factor for them, but I think it also made it pretty traumatizing for me is that like, maybe I wish you'd been more prepared for one of your kids, maybe to be queer and to not have a place in church. And I wish that, you know, it didn't have to be so like uncomfortable. So I think that's like definitely a moment that, I think it's tough to like think back on because even though they did not kick me out of the house, they're wonderful. Like I really have nothing bad to say about them, but that it just really became a very isolating individual experience that I ultimately just took on my own, which I think leading into me coming out publicly for the, like for the first time ever at BYU, well in athletics, Um, I think that's something that ended up kind of being very scary about it is because I was dealing with a lot of adults and dealing with a space that was just so deeply unprepared to protect, you know, their queer people who they had actively invited in, you know, but they just like couldn't protect them. And so I think that was one of the most like devastating parts of my experience is just that like, I totally get where everyone's coming from. Like I totally, I get it. I came from the same place. I came from the same mindset, but I, there was just, I'm like, there's there, it like, there was like a sense of urgency in me that I'm like, Hey, like we need, you need to be prepared to help people who have this identity and you're not, and not only are you not prepared, but like, you're not, prepared to take any change to make things better so very long-winded answer about my coming out experience but it's essentially just my frustration with trying to create more inclusive and safe spaces at BYU kind of led to it being I think in my opinion more lip service and so then I definitely wrote a very public coming out story to just bring awareness to the fact that contrary to popular belief there are many queer people you know within the church and at BYU and within BYU athletics um, which represents the church and the school in a lot of ways so I think it's just been a very very interesting journey and in a lot of ways very I'm very proud of myself but I'm also very like sad that it didn't go better and I think I'm just very motivated to do anything I can to kind of help anyone who finds themselves in the same situation with the same background that I have and did. Yeah. So that's like my coming out story. essentially. That's amazing. Um, and disheartening and beautiful. I mean, you use these words, you said that it was difficult, confusing, awful, heartbreaking, and wonderfully liberating. So, okay, let's, let's tackle the first part of that what was the most difficult of all? I mean, I think it's losing the relationship with the community that you grew up in. I mean, I was completely raised in the church. Those that's like my family, that's my friends and my church leaders. Like those are the people who raised me. And it's so I mean, after the summer that I came out, I've never been back to my home ward. Like, I've never gone back. And I mean, 
for anyone who's grown up in the church, um, that's a massive change. Like that's just a massive change to not be able to go back to that place that you worshiped and had community and had family and everything. And I don't even think I realized how big of a deal leaving that all was until I turned 25 and got all my brain cells. Like, so it's, I think the farther away that I get from it, the more insane it kind of feels. So it's so hard to lose your community. Like it, it just, it's so devastating and there's no way around it, even though I know that it's liberating to understand myself more than I ever have. And it's obviously empowering to be able to show up as myself. It still feels sad that I had to leave a community that I felt so much a part of and got so much comfort from, you know, all the same reasons that people really appreciate religion and church and community and everything. So, yeah. Well, did you feel like there were members of that community that did stick by you that did show like the support that you needed at that time? There were members of my home ward that actually did email me when I published my coming out story and they had nothing but kind things to say. So yeah, it's definitely, yeah, there was actually a lot of really wonderful people that did reach out. I think, I think part of it is just me knowing that like I failed a little bit within that culture. So I'm not going to like go back into that space if that makes sense like yeah but yeah so there's actually like I do feel like there are many people who are accepting yeah even in my own home ward and even that still attend church but yeah it's just that sense of like I can never go back and be who I was and be like respected as who I was in the past but yeah no like wonderful things have been said by people from church so or like your teammates or like your coach, like, were they all pretty accepting? I would say that they were. So Coach Taylor, um, who's the head cross country and track coach at BYU right now, she um, she is technically not Mormon, though her family is. Um, and she came in my sophomore year. She used to coach at um, Stanislaus in California. Okay. And um she talked openly about how she had queer athletes on her teams pre and previously she said that her nanny for her boys was like lesbian um so when she came into BYU I had this like enormous privilege of having a coach who was a safe space around queer people so I never had like she has been nothing but empowering to me like from the minute I came out like she was completely a non-issue um and just so empowering. So it was a huge privilege I had. And then in terms of my teammates, mm-hmm. um, I would just say that like, I have so much in common with them having grown up in the church that a lot of the questions they were asking, I had already asked myself, like, like, well, what about the afterlife? Emma? you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I know, I, I, you I know, so. thinking about this. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, Erica, I know, like, I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, so I think that they were, they were like as accepting as I could ever expect them to be. You know, a lot of them, I would just say, like, at that point in time, probably didn't have any education around that stuff, like the same way that I hadn't before, right. like, going and seeking it out and learning it. 
So they had a lot of kindness, I think, in their hearts when I came out and they have definitely all been very supportive since and it just absolutely means the world to me. So there were some like comments here and there, I think from some of the younger athletes about like, oh, is she going to have a crush on us like in the locker room? And and people were like, you think Emma's going to have a crush on you? And so, <laughs> a lot, yeah, I'm like a lot of the older athletes who I had friendships with, like I felt yeah. like they knew me and. It didn't change too much about our dynamics. So I was very grateful for that. They were lovely. Good, good, good. So one of my favorite things that I read about you is that after you came out, after you published this, um, you dropped your time in the 3000 meters steeplechase by 20 seconds. Yeah. Crazy impressive and speaks for itself at what this did for you. But like, what does that change kind of like symbolize? What did the process of coming out do for you and your sport? That's such a good question. So I would say that at the time, I think it was in 2018, 2019 season, I had like, I'd never qualified for regionals before. And track regionals is like the first round to make it to the NCAA championship. So it's kind of a huge deal. You have to be in like the top 48 in your half of the country. Um, so I was very, I had never done it before. And I was like, I think I can do it. But I had like a lot of time to drop still. And so it's actually kind of a sad story. But basically, in the fall semester before, like that spring semester, when I dropped all my time, there was a really public suicide that happened on campus at BYU. Mm-hmm. And it Unfortunately, not to, it's really not about me, but two weeks before that had happened, I had been giving a presentation to athletic directors about, you know, the importance of queer inclusion on campus. And I was following up from a forum that had been hosted at BYU on queer inclusion. And basically, the feedback that they gave me was that wasn't a note they wanted to overplay you know, in athletics. And so I was like, wow, okay, you guys are just lip servicing this. This is so insane. And then, then the suicide happened. And it was just obviously really tough for everyone on campus. I think especially a lot of the queer students. Um, And so for me, I kind of just like redirected all of my like advocacy work that I had been doing into my running I kind of shut down and wasn't talking with any of the people that I'd been working on those initiatives with anymore and I just totally focused on running and I was like hey like if you ever like if you want to make any change at BYU you're going to need to be the best athlete that you can be like it's stupid you're a track athlete no one even cares about that stuff but like being the best you can be in your sport is going to help get your story out there. And so is it the typical weight off your shoulders story? No, it's not. I think that I was really suffering from a lot of like mental health issues that at that point in time and suicidal ideation and, and running was something to me that had been so consistent in my life and had such clear goals that I was able to just put all of my focus into that and just find some like sense of self at that point in time. So yeah, when I dropped my 20 seconds, like I have never been more determined in a race to like show up and like be my best self. And like, I put my hoops in and I just was like, I was full guns blazing. I was just like, I need to do this, like to prove that I can succeed. Cause I'd also spent that year, like 
not in contact with my parents as well. And I just feel like I had a lot to prove, like as a person to like show that like I can be out and bisexual, but look at me still succeeding. Like I really felt like I wanted to prove that. So I will say that that was my vibe for dropping 20 seconds. But fast, like fast forward to now, I will say that being in like a healthy queer relationship and having so much space from these environments that are very triggering to some of this trauma. Like I am so much better of an athlete. Like I'm running like 20 seconds faster than I ever did in college. And I definitely do associate that new level of power and strength and success to being like out, but being out in a safe space. So I will say that that like weight off my shoulders didn't come until I had graduated from BYU you know, had a year of like really intense, like, (laughs) like healing. And then like, literally it's been like two or three years of being in a relationship and trying to build a life where I can heal from all of this stuff and find community in other places besides church. So I was, I will say like, I want to share that part of it because I never want to glamorize like coming out in an unsafe environment and genuinely looking back it was so traumatizing. It was so heartbreaking. And I felt so scared so much of the time. And it's, it's so beautiful, I think, to get on the track now and race and feel so clear headed and feel so safe and feel so okay. And to not even be worrying about how this identity that I have is going to play into like my safety in terms of school and community. So I'm really proud of what I did qualifying for regionals, you know, that year in 2019, like that was amazing. I'm so proud of that, Emma, for doing that, but yeah, I don't ever want to be in that headspace again. And I'm glad yeah. like I've come a long way since. So, well, it's a really beautiful notion that you, you know, you were motivated by, for the chance to advocate for other people. Like you wanted to become your best self so you could be taken more seriously to be an ally. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. And you have to give yourself a lot of credit there because that's, I mean, the work you've done is, is really important. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who have heard your story and just like silently are like, Oh, she did it. Like maybe I can do it too, but you're right. It's not a glamorous process maybe in the moment, but out of the moment, you seem to be doing really well. Um, so <laughs> yeah, tell us about your life right now. It seems like you might be in love, you might be training <laughs> for something. Um, you have a podcast, so talk to me about that. Yeah, so super exciting. Um, I think I basically am qualified to compete at the USATF national championships next week. That's ah. amazing. Yeah. So it's not official yet, but I think I'm in like, they take the top 26 steeple times to say, and I think I'm sitting around like 20th. So hey, you're in. I, <laughs> I think she's in. I think she's in. So very, very excited in terms of where my running is at. I've never qualified for USAs before. So it's my very first time. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, I was so excited. And in terms of my relationship, um, I'm dating Nikki Hiltz. Well, I've been in a relationship with Nikki for like three years now. So we've been together for a while. I love them so much. And they are also a, well, they're like 
a phenomenal track athlete. They're non-binary. They compete in the 1500 and yeah, they're, they're also going to USA's. I think the way I explain it is like, I'm going to USA's to try and like take in like the top 20. Like that's like kind of my goal. And Nikki is in a spot of like taking top three, you know, kind of as a, they're super, they're super good. So, um, but the cool thing for me is that Nikki has been coaching me actually. So they've been writing all of my workouts and helping me plan my race schedule. So it's just been so exciting and so fun. And I'm so excited to go compete at USA's with my partner. I, it's just so iconic and so fun. So I'm really excited about that. And I guess more context, we live in Flagstaff, Arizona together. We have a two and a half year old German shepherd named Scout. She is the love of our life, but she's also very high maintenance. Um, (laughs) She um, just needs a lot of attention, a lot of walks out in the forest. Um, So we spend a lot of time outside, basically. If we're not running, we're with Scout in the forest. Let's talk about sports and like the sports world. Like we cover all professional sports on Sportsish, but male professional sports are very mainstream. Um, but they're also like very hyper masculine. <laughs> <laughs> there are like so few male athletes from male athletes who are out, uh, kind of similar to athletes at BYU. Why do you think that is? So, so I've spoken with, I, in my queer athlete podcast, I've spoken with, um, queer BYU athletes who attended BYU, so a few current as well. And I feel like in my conversations with those athletes, a lot of it just comes back to it obviously not being safe to come out, but let's dive into that. Like, I think kind of the standards of masculinity at a place like BYU are very, very like defined and everyone kind of knows the expectations And I think you get rewarded for filling the expectations. And I think there's some really unsafe things that can happen if you cannot fill those expectations. Okay. So I would just say that if people are viewing queerness, you know, as femininity, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be viewed as like a failure in a culture like BYU and then specifically BYU athletics. So I think that's a lot what I've heard from those athletes, which is so sad because A, I don't think that being queer inherently means that you're more feminine or not. But also, I definitely believe that in any person, regardless of gender identity, like we are all weighing, you know, this balance of masculinity and femininity, and maybe it's not okay to like demonize one or the other or stereotype them. So. I would just say that the stakes feel honestly a little bit higher for male athletes, especially at BYU, because I mean, I've just the stories that I've heard, like there's a lot more derogatory words thrown around. There is more bullying. I think things can get probably like fear of things getting physical. Mm -hmm. If like a straight man feels like threatened or something, or like someone's coming on to them. I feel like, you know, a lot of those classic stereotypes of, queer people being predatory 
you know, for me in my locker room, it may just be a few snide comments about like, oh, she's into me or something. But I feel like in a men's locker room, that could get a little bit more intense. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely just what I've heard. It's obviously really, really sad and devastating. I've, I've always said that I do think that if a, you know, current male athlete at BYU was able to come out as queer, I feel like that would do a lot to push the culture forward because A, there's a lot of queer men competing in BYU athletics. It would just be nice if they, you know, the culture could fully embrace that and support it and like they could be out. So it's sad, but... You get, you have said the word safe a lot. And I um, really appreciate that because I think it gives great insight into how queer people can maybe, how unsafe they feel a lot of times Mm -hmm. with a lot of different people. For anyone listening who wants to be more of an ally or wants to create a safe space, what advice do you have for them? Definitely. I think for me, it's, my whole journey was just about educating myself in the first place. So basically, if you feel deeply uncomfortable with something, in my experience, that's because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. Um. So for me, that's the first thing is like, if you have questions about like transgender people, I highly recommend just going and doing some research, listening to a transgender person, even meeting a transgender person. And I promise you will feel so differently like absolutely so differently I will never forget the first transgender woman athlete who I ever met Cece Telfer I listened to her story and like I have just like never looked back like it just humanizes something that can be so overly politicized so dehumanized um so yeah so I think that would be like my first thing is like educating yourself and definitely like exposing yourself to like you know, new people with different identities than you. And I guess more specifically, I would say right now, probably when it comes to creating safe spaces, it's using people's correct pronouns. I think that's definitely one of the biggest things right now. I guess also a big one is just like never making assumptions about who someone is or what their identities are and definitely speaking in a way that gives them permission to show up as whoever they are. Yeah. Um, Because I think we... We all deserve that. I mean, I actually remember like when the church came out with like, oh, we don't want to be referred to as like the Mormon church anymore. Like it it was like the full title. And I was like, that's so similar to like pronoun usage, right? Like we just all deserve to be like talked to, you know, (laughs) in a way that we prefer, like that feels right for us. So I was like, connections. So yeah, definitely. Definitely use right pronouns and then just like, yeah, don't make assumptions about people's identities. I would just say that's probably the biggest thing for safe spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. So I feel, I often feel like, oh, we've come such a long way in inclusion. I mean, on every front, right? On racial inclusion and gender inclusion. And then all I have to do is look at like the comments of any like mainstream sports site. So specifically, like if ESPN posts anything for pride, um, the comment section is really, really disheartening. And Mm -hmm. my goal at Sportsish is to be very different than a lot of like the mainstream sports outlets. Um, And 
to create a safe space, of course, uh, where like stories like yours can be told. But it often makes me wonder, like, do you get do you get hate? Have you gotten hate? Have you and Nikki gotten hate together? What is what has been your experience there? Totally. So I've seen those comment sections too. They're absolutely just so scary and concerning yeah. that people feel comfortable putting that kind of language out in the world. For me personally, when I've shared my story about BYU, biggest thing that I get is like, well, you just shouldn't have gone there. And I'm like, I think if I knew what I know now, having received education and everything, maybe I wouldn't have, but I absolutely belonged at BYU. Like absolutely no doubt. Do not try and make that the problem. Like that was not the problem with my experience. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely stuff that I deal with. Definitely issues with getting hypersexualized. I think for me, especially having come out as bisexual, I've definitely dealt with some really inappropriate conversations with bishops when I was at BYU. And then definitely some people who just really don't understand what it means and think that it means like non monogamy and sleeping Mm -hmm. around and that kind of thing, which is just never, ever, ever appropriate. I think when it comes to Nikki, this is where I think there needs to be so much more progress made because Nikki, people come after Nikki in comments. They are so disrespectful online. They are absolutely just so unsafe. I'll use that word again. Um, And to me, it just comes from a place of like, you have not taken the time to educate yourself about anything. A lot of the times people attack Nikki in the comments as if they were a transgender woman because Mm -hmm. they think they're a trans woman competing in women's sports. And not only, in my opinion, is it okay for trans women to compete in women's sports, they're talking to someone who, you know, was biologically born a woman, whatever that means, who is continuing to compete in the women's category. So I'm like, you don't even know, you're so uneducated that you're not even bullying someone correctly. And like, you know, let's unpack that, right? Like you're so uneducated it's just so wrong across the board. Yeah. And that's and that's devastating to me because I see my partner get affected by those comments and feel unsafe showing up to track meets. Um so right now I just feel like I can handle getting hypersexual. Actually no I can't. I actually can't handle any of it. <laughs> like no, I I just Yeah, I feel like I I feel like I can defend myself basically, but I feel very deeply protective of transgender people right now. And certainly my partner, because Nikki deserves to go places and shine as bright as they can and get referred to in the correct way and not ever deal with comment sections that are insanely uneducated and insanely disrespectful and like trying to take away from who they are. It's just it's so, so devastating. So, yes, like definitely dealing with a lot of really inappropriate behavior and I always do my very best to kind of like call it out stand up to it or just like delete those comments and everything but I would say that the way people are approaching transgender people right now is completely inappropriate and you need to go educate yourself because it's just it's making people want to die it's making people feel unwelcome and that's just like never okay yeah that is exhausting for you and Nikki and I hope people just listening to your story can understand you both are humans, you know, with a lot of love to give 
and a lot of, you know, you, you both have the potential to shine and you're both very talented. Why, why do we need to dim that? We don't, nobody does. It's so unnecessary. And I'm sorry that you have both gone through that. Um, but I hope progress is made just, I hope, and I think it is. And then I'm disappointed, but I will wrap this up with kind of a more positive question. And we're having you on the podcast. Um, I always, always want to share queer stories and be an ally, but specifically in the month of June, because it is Pride Month, um, <laughs> what does Pride mean to you personally? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm so proud of the relationship that I've built with myself. And when it comes to my queer identity, you know, it's just one part of me that helps me understand how to love and how to connect with others. And it's just, it's taught me so much. So I'm just incredibly grateful for that. So I think that's what pride means. I think it just... To me, it's just being able to have the absolute best, most real relationship with myself. And I think that it'll allow me to do whatever I need to do here. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just that. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to share? Um, no, I feel good about it. All right. Have a wonderful night. Good luck at USA. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you.